Welcome everybody to today's first episode of It's a Rap. I'll be your host. My name is Joey Kinney. You can call me Agent Zero. You can call me Zero, whatever you like. Uh, on this podcast, we're going to be talking about hip-hop, where it's been, where it's going, and everything in between. We'll also be talking about sports, particularly those sports that really go hand-in-hand hand with hip-hop. And along the way, we'll have some really fun guests. Uh, I know you'll enjoy some of my friends that will be popping by from time to time to uh, lend a hand to the show and also share their opinion. Um, I love these guys. Um, I really value their opinion. And they've really given me some good insights, uh, both in hip-hop and sports throughout the years. So um, be looking for that in the future. Today, we're going to get into... Top 15 MCs of all time. All right. And so let's jump right in. At number 15, we got Big Pun. Christopher Rios. Big Pun, first album, came out in 98, Capital Punishment. Um, of course, many know the story of Big Pun passed away. Um, not going to get into his personal life, um, but... When it comes to MCing on the microphone, Big Pun was an absolute beast. Uh, no doubt about it. I know the first time I heard Big Pun was probably 95, 96 around there. I remember him on a joint with uh, Raekwon on a single. I had bought a single at this record store in my hometown called Streetside Records. I remember I bought the single for Raekwon and... Uh, uh, I, I want to say it might have been ice cream, although that could be wrong. But I know the flip side of it, there's a song called Firewater with Pun and Fat Joe. And uh, that was one of the first times I heard Pun and it really got in. And, oh, man, destroyed that track. I mean, he murdered everybody on that track. It wasn't even close. And I hold Raekwon High Regard and Fat Joe as well. But that right there let me know. Pun was somebody to reckon with, and then he only proved me right, I feel, when he came in with Off the Books from the Beat Nuts, and then when I heard him on that Verbal Murder 2 in 98, on that Pete Rock, his classic uh, album, uh, Soul Brother, and then uh, also he had a really, really nice cameo and guest appearance on Band from TV on the Noriega album, on the NRE album. Um, but yeah, big pun, man. Um, he really repped, not just saying, oh, hey, you got to throw in a Latino rapper, you know, anything like that. Um, this is straight respect for this man's lyrical skill. Uh, big pun was an absolute beast on the microphone. If you've never heard of big pun, um, definitely go out, check him out. Number 14 on the list. We're going to go with corrupt young Gotti from the DPGC. Corrupt has got, looks like, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, according to Wikipedia. And, you know, Wikipedia is not always right, but we're just going to go with them right now. Um, myself, personally, uh, my first album, or his first album, Corruption, is my favorite from his. Um, his work on the DPGC albums, all the Dog Pound albums are legendary. That Dog Food album, uh, Corrupt. I mean, he really, really lets people know this is the, at least for me, the cat out of death row um, during that era. Because Snoop was the most popular until Pac came into the, you know, got, you know, released from prison or whatever, and they signed him. But um, I think the, 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 the one MC, I think that, um, you know, people who really love hip-hop and lyrics and, and, and appreciate um, somebody just really going in. And going for the neck and the jugular um, with his wordplay is corrupt. And so corrupt young Gotti, he's clocking in at number 14. Number 13, we have a, a, a phenom, uh, one of these guys that I think, um, and I really, um, one of my personal favorite MCs, um, not every single um, verse that he has on albums on the group album that he was with were classics 
but man, it's pretty close. And he dropped classic verses on pretty much all of his group's albums. I will say I wasn't necessarily a big fan of some of their later work. Um, and that, uh, I'm, of course, speaking of uh, Andre 3000. Uh, I think when Andre 3000 used to go by Andre Benjamin. Um, but at any rate, the work that he put in on those Outkast albums were incredible. Um, my personal favorite, you know, my you know my favorite stuff from Outkast is probably from the Equimini album, and you know I really you know and that's really um, uh, the the stuff that Andre Three Thousand did on that album to me. Um, he was really at his peak then. Um, but again, you talk about someone with lyrical flow, dexterity. Um, he could be witty, um, really good with metaphors. And the thing that I love about Andre 3000 is he's the type of MC that you have to rewind, go back, listen to what he's saying. Um, and it might take you several listens to really get what he's saying. And I really like when MCs do that, when they're able to um, really make you think. Um, and, and he's definitely somebody that, you know, uh, when I'm, you know, maybe alone and I'm just kind of in that mood where you're in some deep type of thought, you know, I'll, I'll throw in some equipment I, you know, and, and I'll listen to that, you know, especially those Andre verses. And, you know, I still come away with something new. And so, um, definitely Andre 3000. We got him at number 13. Moving on. All I'm going to say is this. Biatch. You already know. The legend from the Yay area. None other than Too Short. Um, Too Short has one of the longest and storied discographies in hip hop. I, uh, Man, I first heard Too Short. Man, I was probably in elementary school, man. Uh, maybe sixth grade. Um, his first album came out in 85, Don't Stop Rapping. He had players, raw, uncut, and X-rated. I, ha I really had not had the pleasure of listening to those. I was introduced to Short in, like, probably 88. Um... With Born to Mac, I think that album came out in 87. Um, it didn't get to my ears, you know, being a young kid in the Midwest in Columbia, Missouri, it didn't get to me um, till about 88 um, when I heard Freaky Tales and just that beat. Um, and then with Shorts Rhymes, because they're not the most complex. And people say, well, he's not an MC. Rest assured, Too Short is an MC. This cat can rhyme for eight minutes straight. And it will all make sense, and it will sound fantastic. And so, um, it's not always about, you know, who can spit the most rapid fire, or who is like, oh, that guy just totally blew my mind. Uh, in some cases, simple works. And in this case, I think this guy perfected that because you can rap all his words, and, and the thing about short is he was more than just a dirty rapper. Um, people think that, or he gets labeled, well, he just talks about bitches and hoes and, you know, getting his dick sucked. And, and yes, he did talk about that. And it was funny as hell. Um, but Too Short had a serious side. Um, I know Born the Mac, not so much that one, but I know starting with, like, Life is Too Short and Short Dogs in the House, those two albums in particular, he made a point to have a clean side and a dirty side on his albums. Back then, you had tapes. And too short, you know, he talked about political stuff. He talked about coming up in the streets and trying to make it and not, you know, try to do the right thing, staying in school, encouraging children uh, to stay in school. Um, I remember he had a song on the Shorty Pimp album called So You Want to Be a Gangster, basically chronicling the pitfalls of trying to be a thug and try to be hard. And he, like he said, just, you know, be yourself. And he always preached um, black entrepreneurship. He also uh, preached black pride in his music. And I wouldn't say preach because Too Short never preached anything. He just, you know, was spitting that game to you. 
did only the and he did it in a way that only he could. Um, so definitely too short. Number eleven. I'm sorry, number twelve. Number eleven on our list. I'm going with Big Daddy Kane out of New York. Big Daddy Kane hit the scene in what like '87, something like that. Came out with uh, Raw, and then followed that up. What ain't no half stepping on the Long Live the Kane album? Uh, another fantastic song um, that I remember. It was, I think it was on the the Lean on Me soundtrack, um, and it's a really cool video too. Is the Lean on Me? I think they call it Rap Summary. Um, Big Daddy Kane, even though LL he was probably one of the first kind of you know sex symbols. Big Daddy Kane took it to a whole new level. You know, this guy actually posed for like Playgirl magazine back in the day. He was dating Madonna back when it was, you know, you know, in the eighties there, you know, late eighties. It was taboo for, you know, celebrity to be knocking off, you know, a white chick celebrity. And this cat was knocking off Madonna, who was like rivaling Michael Jackson as like the most popular pop star in the world okay so that kind of lets you know the clout of big daddy Kane, as far as just you know what how far he had came but not only that he had the skills to back it up you know this cat you know i i don't know if there's anything uh recorded i need to really look and see if he ever actually battled krs or rock him i don't believe that they actually like battle battle but when you talk about battling for the hearts and minds of hip hop and the fans, um, you know, those three, man, it was always a toss up there for a little bit there in the 80s, probably from really like it when he came out, 87, 88, 89, before really the West invasion had came. Shit, Big Daddy Kane, baby, all day. Ain't no half stepping. If you don't know, you better know. Go get that. Definitely Big Daddy Kane, number 11. Alright, coming in at number 10, we're going to go to the Windy City. I'm going to give it to my man Common. Common hit the scene in like 92 with Can I Borrow a Dollar. Follow that up with uh, Resurrection, and then one day it all makes sense. That's really when I kind of got hit to him. I had graduated high school in like 94. I had heard of Common, but I really hadn't. You know, to me, he was like a funny style rapper. I'm going to be honest. I'm like, dude, I, I, he's a funny style rapper. And so... I gave one day, it all makes sense. You know, I listened to it, and I gave it a try, and I still really hadn't, you know, he really hadn't put nothing that really caught me. But then when he hit water, like water for chocolate, man, you know, that resonated with me. Like, and you really, you know, to me, Common really demonstrated, um, you know, emceeing at its finest. And that's what Common, to me, represents. Sometimes he does get artsy, like with the electric circus stuff, and I'm not feeling that. But, you know, he, he has come out for me with, like, at least three for myself. Like, I can give these guys, you know, five mic albums, certified classic albums, which for me is like Water for Chocolate, B, and Finding for uh, Forever. Uh, Finding Forever, probably the weakest of those three albums, in my opinion. But, nonetheless... Um, uh, go check out Common if you haven't checked him out. Um, this guy has skills. And, uh, you know, and the thing about Common is, um, he's not, uh, uh, necessarily a hardcore rapper, but he is hardcore, if that makes sense. Um, the thing about Common that I like too is, um, you know, when he was, you know, kind of being pushed around a little bit, or, or it seemed like it, um, when he has a little beef with Cube, he stood up. And to be honest, um, that little tip for tat, if we want to talk about songs and like lyrics and going in, um, you know, now Cube, of course, has the, the, the infamous and, and maybe the greatest diss song of all time, No Vaseline. But um, in that vein, he did get served because I see the bitch in you, Common really called out some shit on Cube and that shit was on point. And Q, you know, he, they, I think he did an answer like on, uh, uh, West Side Slaughterhouse and one of the songs they did with like West Side Connection. But really, honestly, 
for myself, I think the bitching, I see the bitching you was a better diss song um, than anything that, you know, Cube threw back at Common. Um, so definitely Common at number 10. Going in at number 9, we're going with the Blastmaster KRS-1. KRS-1, you already know, South Bronx, the South, South Bronx, South Bronx, the South, South Bronx. Um, there's no greater ambassador for hip-hop than KRS-One. If you have never heard of KRS-One, if you don't know at least one of his songs from BDP or maybe one of his solo joints, um, then shut the fuck up. You probably want to, well, if you're a young kid, I ain't going to tell you shut the fuck up. But if you are my age, I'm 44. So if you're in your 40s and you say you love hip-hop or even like 35 and up and you say you love hip-hop and you don't know who KRS-One is, yes, shut the fuck up. You don't have, you can't say shit about hip-hop. This man is the number one to me ambassador of hip-hop and the great thing about KRS-One is he encourages folks to not just take part in one part of the culture. He big ups and he emphasizes and he's always praising all the elements of hip hop, not just the MCing and the rapping, but also the DJing, also the graffiti and also the b-boying. And so you combine that with a guy who um, incredible lyricist. Um, I, I, one of my favorite quotes from Karis one is he says that. Every day he practices a battle rap when he wakes up, just in case he's got to battle somebody. And he's always locked and loaded. Um, sometimes he's, um, in my opinion, been right in some of his battles. Sometimes he's been wrong. Nonetheless, you know, KRS has had some classic battles. You know, he had, you know, a classic battle with the Juice Crew. I, I think it's safe to say. That uh, BDP, they won that one. South Bronx, you know, the bridge is over. And South Bronx, you know, and I love, you know, MC Shan and Queensbridge and, and, and yeah, shit, I love Nas, no doubt. But on that one, Queensbridge to me took an L with the bridge is over in South Bronx. You know, KRS did that. And he, you know, definitely one of those pioneers uh, of hip hop. Um, he is coming in. To me, he came in a little bit later, not necessarily at that pioneering stage, but right when hip-hop was blossoming. And he was one of those MCs that turned that, that tie to hip-hop where it was kind of sing-songy and, and elementary type of school rhymes to where you really had to elevate your lyrical flow. And he was one of the guys that ushered in that era. Okay, so definitely KRS-One. Moving along. Number eight, the notorious B.I.G., Christopher Wallace, rest in peace. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now from the jump. I know everyone on the East Coast, if this ever gets out to anybody on the East Coast and you hear this, you're probably going to be like, fuck this motherfucker. He don't know what he's talking about. Fuck him. Um, but it is my opinion. And I got to be honest with you. I do not feel that uh, Biggie is the greatest rapper ever. I don't even think he's the best fat rapper from New York. Now, my personal favorite, it, you know, in that type of category would be Big Pun. I do think Big Pun's a better rapper, but I got Biggie higher on the list because um, influence does mean something. And um, Biggie has a loyal, tremendous fan base. And I, can't, I cannot front. Biggie has some certified uh, classic um, bangers, both for the streets and the clubs. You know, and he does have some uh, songs that I really like that are introspective. You know, um, one of my favorite songs uh, from Biggie um, came off the Ready to I—I'm uh, sorry, the Ready to Die album, and the the one that really, you know, at least for me, uh, the, the song that I really liked uh, from that one was um, I want to say Everyday Struggle. I don't want to live no more. That song right there. 
that one I really I really enjoyed that song when that one came out on his album um, and that's not necessarily one of the ones that got the big radio playing all that but to me it really showed um, his ability to be relatable and not just boisterous and braggadocious and talk about money hoes and selling drugs um, but I also show a vulnerable side and show that you know that you know that you know hey I I can get scared too sometimes, you know. So Biggie did have, you know, some variety in his music. Um, and he had a hell of a flow. I just don't think that he is the greatest of all time. I think that is something that um, the East Coast media, which is pretty much still is, um, not so much as it was back in the day. Because um, back in the day, like, the East Coast media pretty much, you know, controlled what, what the ears of people as far as hip hop, you know, kind of control that narrative. You know, with most of the magazines, especially the big ones, the source, uh, double XL, stuff like that, that stuff coming out of the East and Vibe magazine, that the way that they did it, it was always, you know, slanted towards the East. And especially, um, once big passed, there was just this fervor from the East that no one could say, no, I don't think he's the best. You know, even with the, you know, the Pac fans arguing with the Biggie fans, you know, you would have that argument. But anybody else trying to say, nah, I don't think he's the best, you know, you get shit on and shut down. And, but I don't believe that's the case. You know, I just think that that was really good uh, media and use of media to get that out there. You know, and big up to Puffy for being able to do that because that's what you're supposed to do for your artist. You know, but I'm sorry, I just do not believe that Biggie is the greatest rapper of all times. But I am going to give him his props. He's number eight. Number seven, we got Ghostface Killer from the Wu-Tang Clan. He was the first uh, voice you heard coming out of the chamber. Uh, with Into the 36. Came out in 96 with Iron Man. Definitely one of my top five albums of all time. Uh, man, Ghost. I can't say enough about Ghost. I did a, pra a practice podcast uh, a little bit ago that I, you know, misspoke and said that he had like 18 albums. He does got like 18 albums. He just don't have like 18 studio albums. But if you count mixtapes and then uh, collaboration albums, he's got like 20 plus. Now, that being said, out of that entire discography, man, I'm looking here, I've got pretty much every single one of his studio albums save for um his his latest release which was the ghostface killers that came out in 2019 um but at any rate ghostface um you won't find another wordsmith who puts emotion and who can really paint a vivid picture for you of what is going on um vocabulary second to none um, Ghost Ray, Forty Water, man, these guys, the vocabulary is just, yeah, I mean, it's bananas. And, you know, with Ghost, he just brings that emotional touch to it. And then he always comes with them nice, soulful beats, man. You know, everything about Ghost, uh, what I love about him is that soulfulness. You know, you listen to a Ghostface album. And you fuck around, you're going to cry on one of the songs. You know, depending on which album it is. You know, because Ghost, really, he goes in. But the thing is, is um, what I like about him is he respects uh, the artist. Like, when he raps over a lot of those beats, man, um, he doesn't really break them up. He just raps over them. So you get to hear the cat singing in the background and the whole nine. So you just get that whole vibe. And, you know, Ghost, to me, is very theatrical with how he does it. Um, and so to me, um, when you combine all that, uh, then you also talk about a cat who, you know, went solo in 96 and, um, has only gotten better with time. You know, you'll never, and you've never heard of a Ghostface album that is in, not at least a four mic or 3.5 at the bare minimum. Ghosts don't put out no garbage. Ain't no garbage Ghostface albums. The only garbage Ghostface albums that I know, and I don't think they're garbage, that's don't, for me, you know, 
Hell, I bought them anyway just to support them because I like Ghost that much. But to me, they really weren't all that albums because they're just compilation albums. You know, so with today's technology, I don't really need to buy a compilation album. But that being said, Ghostface never disappoints on his albums. Every one of his albums is a 3.5 bare minimum. And to me, um, he's coming away with Iron Man, five mics, Supreme Clientele, five mics. Bulletproof Wallets, which is probably one of his most hated and slept on works. I love the album. That's a four micer. Pretty Tony, four mics. Fish scale, four and a half. More fish, that's a 3.5. Big Door Rehab, I give that like a 3.5. Ghost Dini, I liked it. You know, I liked the R&B stuff. And then with the Apollo kids, he came back to that, you know, that, that, that woo gutter shit. You know, that's a four micer. 12 Reasons to Die. Was an awesome album. That's one of those, you know, uh, thematic albums uh, where you have to listen to the whole thing. You can't just listen to a single. That one in Thirty Six Reasons. Um, but, but you're getting the point about Ghost. This guy is prolific, and he never makes garbage. Never. So, moving on to the next. I'm going with number six. We're gonna have Ice Cube. To me, Cube is the best who ever did it out of the West. He not only is he a rapper. He is an MC. In fact, Cube is an MC first. Yes, he's a rapper. That discussion is for another time as far as MCs and rappers. But he is on my MC list. He is an MC first and foremost. And to me, I, I don't even think it's close. Cube is the greatest rapper MC to come out of uh, Los Angeles, come out of the West Coast. Um, you know, Cube, I heard Cube, 88. You know, of course, N.W.A. You know, and really, um, before N.W.A., I had heard him a little bit on that Easy Does It album. I remember my brother Tony let me let me uh, jam that when I was in seventh grade. I used to, man, I used to, I had that Easy Easy Does It album memorized front and back. And I remember thinking on that album, man, the best rapper on this album ain't even Easy is Ice Cube. <laughs> and then. Um, you know, NWA the same thing. NWA was never the same when Cube left. Never. Um, and then when he came in with America's Most Wanted, he, he ran the board. America's Most Wanted, Death Certificate, and then in between there, um, he had an EP, Kill It Will, uh, before that Death Certificate album. But between 90, 91, Cube ran the table. Um, the Predator album was dope. Lethal Injection was dope. But, you know, those two, America's Most and Death Certificate, forget about it. He ran, he, he, he was running, he was running shit. Cube went to the East, hooked up with Hank Shockley, the bomb squad, uh, the protection team for Public Enemy. And those cats made beautiful, uh, music. It, it, it was a rap. It was history. Um, America's Most Wanted at the time was probably the most incendiary album, um, uh, outside of um, uh, Drop It or what was it? Uh, Drop It on the other level, the Ghetto Boys album. Besides that Ghetto Boys album, to me, this was like the most incendiary thing that I'd ever heard. America's most cube gave less than three fucks. He went in and he did this thing and, and, and you know, right now in 2020, you can go back and listen to America's Most Wanted Death Certificate and it's very poignant. Um, but at any rate, uh, definitely Cube, uh, one of the greatest MCs of all time and definitely the greatest from the West. All right. Now we're going into our top five. Number five, we got LL Cool J's Lady Love, Legend Leather, Long and Lean that Don't Wear Pleather, Last of the Red Hot Loving MCs. Now you know what LL means. LL Cool J hit the scene with radio in 85. Followed up with Bigger and Deffer. A little bit of a slump. I know there was rumors. I can't speak on a man. I know there was some rumors of drug use and stuff like that. And Ella had fallen off. Um, with Walking with the Panther. It still went platinum. And he had some cuts on there. Um, and then he followed that up in 90. With Mama Said Knock You Out. And then that, uh, 14 Shots of the Dome. Mr. Smith. Phenomenon. Goat. Uh, 10, Definition, Todd Smith, Exit 13, Authentic. I'm looking through here, man. LL has nothing but platinum plaques. 
Every one of them albums went platinum, save for his last two. And he had one, two, three, four other albums, Goat, Ten, Definition, and Todd Smith, that all went uh, gold status well after LL was past his prime. But that lets you know the fan base that he had built up, deservedly so. Uh, when he came out with radio in 85, um, he was co uh, crushing competition. Um, you know, Beastie Boys, Fat Boys, Run DMC, those cats was very popular. You know, I know on my playground, we was all break dancing and whenever we're playing ball or whatever, we was jamming those guys, Fat Boys, Beastie Boys, Run DMC. And <clears throat> LL came in, he was killing all them cats. Yeah, when LL came in, only 16 years old, he was in that movie Crush Groove. And then uh, when LL came in, though, man, you can forget about it. Um, radio, and then the follow-up, Bigger and Duffer, that's when it was like, this cat is running the board. Um, I'm Bad, that says it all. One of the greatest hip-hop songs of all time. If you uh, have not heard that song, do yourself a favor. Go listen to that song. And then LL followed that up on this album with probably the greatest love song in hip-hop of all times, which had never even been done before. And really, nobody's ever really done it since better than LL. And that's I Need Love. All right? So this man is legendary. And when I tell you he's legendary, LL Cool J is legendary. He, uh... Younger people know him probably more from the TV shows and that type of stuff. Um, but for us old heads, um, we definitely know uh, LL. Yeah, he was bad. All right, moving on. Number four. <clears throat> um, everybody knows his story well, so we don't need to get into all that. Of course, I'm talking about Tupac. Um, Pac was many things. Um uh, for those people who love Pac, because I know I'm on the same way with Biggie in that fan base, Pac's fan base is probably even more, you know, and, and that's hard to say, but they are probably even more loyal and more vocal um, about their love for him, and de deservedly so, because Tupac, to me, more than any other uh, MC or rapper, um, the stuff that he talked about, it just resonated because, it, you know, he wasn't the most complex rhymer. He didn't put intricate uh, uh, rhyme sequences together. Uh, Tupac uh, definitely um, wasn't like a metaphorical giant. Nothing like that. You know, it was pretty straightforward. All of his songs, for the most part, were pretty straightforward. You know, he, he cut to the chase. Um, I liken Tupac to Allen Iverson. And um, in the sense that the way AI played basketball, like, you know, he would say, practice, practice. Yeah, what are we talking about? Practice. And then you hear the stories about Tupac where, you know, cats is trying to get their rhymes together and this and that. And he's like, look, man, just, just write your shit and go in. And then how, you know, he just had this work ethic where, you know, he's getting after engineers and producers like, look, man, we're going to, you know, wrap this shit. Y'all put the beats on this shit, you know, and let's keep it cracking, you know, keep it moving. And he, he's even said to, uh, to have preferred um, some of his music to not be 100% polished where the production is just 100%. And you hear that in a lot of Pac's music. You can hear where um, it's not so much that it's not professional because it is professional. It's been professionally mixed down and all that. But. You could also tell that, you know, the producers uh, um, and the engineers, there was work that, that could have been done to really, it's almost like um, kind of remaster it and really make the clarity of everything sound a little bit better. And a lot of times, Pac didn't do that. He was just, particularly uh, once he got to death row, it was like, hey, you know, get in the booth. Spit this shit and on to the next. But at any rate, man, he's got a tremendous catalog. Um, he was the first rapper to ever make a double platinum, or not double platinum, but a double CD. 
Um, and, and that shit bangs, you know, both sides, both, both discs. Um, of course, I'm talking about <clears throat> All Eyes on Me. Um, his first work for me, uh, some of my favorite, which was uh, uh, Apocalypse Now. And then he followed that up with Strictly for My Niggas. And then um, probably my very favorite song of all times came on his third album, um, which was, what was that called? Um, the name of the song is Lord Knows. And I really should know the name of that album, being a hip-hop fan. That's terrible me. But at any rate, Big Against the World. I'm sorry. That album right there. And see, that album, you know, Pac was locked up. But it did show a different side of Pac. It wasn't all of the braggadocio, I get around Pac. And it wasn't um, necessarily um, the ultra-uber-militant Pac from, you know... Uh, soldier story and some of the other you know cuts um, on his first two albums this was a very introspective Pac and one that showed a lot of vulnerability and a lot of different sides and of course he had that smash Dear Mama which you know when you heard it you did shed a tear I mean, even the hardest brother out there had you know felt some type of way when they heard Dear Mama but nonetheless you know, Pac's work was voluminous. Um, his work ethic is legendary. Um, and like I said, that energy that he brought, um, he reminded me of Iverson because, you know, he was like, man, fuck practice. You know, this is the shit that I love and I die for. And you could hear that um, in his lyrics and you could also hear it in his voice. Every song that this cat made sounded like it was going to be his last song or like he felt like, man, I got to get all this out because this might be my last. And so it wasn't always the most polished. And, you know, it, you know, he didn't have, uh, like I said, the, the best, you know, the, the best hip hop voice and nothing like that. But when it all comes down to it, um, and I heard somebody say this recently and I, and I do agree with it. Tupac probably said, his verse is better than anybody else. Because he said that shit from the gut. You know, he, he he was coming, you know, from the gut with that. And he said his verses like he meant that shit. And I think that's the thing that, you know, people just, you know, you just gravitate towards that for whatever reason. You know, and he has touched so many people, rich, poor, white, black, Hispanic. Muslim, Christian, you know, people from all different types of walks of life, you know, literally have said that he changed their life, you know, or helped them get through a bad time. And, you know, there's something to be said for that, you know, so definitely big up, Pac, uh, big up to Pac. That's number four. Number three, another guy that was um, when he came into the game, I was introduced to him in 94 when I was a senior in high school. And when I first heard it, the first time I heard from him, I had to rewind that shit. Man, I can't tell you how many times. I, I At least five, six times. I had to rewind that shit and then listen to it again. Um, just to, just even to catch what the hell he was saying. And I felt like the masses of the people in America, not necessarily on the East. Um, and that was Nas. I didn't have a chance. You know, of course, you know, big up props to Nas. Man. You know, Nas came out with Live at the Barbecue. I think that was like, you know, his first little um, introduction to hip hop as far as being a guest appearance or whatever. And then I think his song Halftime was on like the Zebrahead soundtrack. I hadn't heard, you know, like I, I had heard the movie Zebrahead, but I didn't watch it. It was kind of like an indie film. I don't even think they showed it at the movie theaters um, in my hometown at the time. I think that's like a Michael Rappaport joint, I think. And then, um, and, and then like, uh, main source and hopefully my man Beak can talk to this a little bit better. Cause I hadn't heard a main source. I hadn't heard live at the barbecue. Now I didn't hear live at the barbecue probably until like 2000 and something, basically when Napster took over. And then, you know, of course, Hey, I was getting on there getting stuff too. And that, that 
when I first heard live at the barbecue. But nonetheless, I felt like um, the country took a while to get hip to Nas. They didn't get hip to him until the second album. And even then, they really didn't understand what he was saying on the first one. And what's really funny about Nas is probably his two most garbage albums, um, because at that time, Napster and Leaking and, and you know, on the East Coast, from what I understand and from what I read and just kind of what I'm interpreting was, you know, a lot of his stuff on like that I Am and like that Nostradamus album, a lot of those songs were uh, leaked because indeed those two albums were supposed to be a double disc. He was going to do some Tupac shit, but all his shit got leaked out. So he was like scrambling and, you know, do shit. So, you know, both those efforts were lackluster, particularly to his fans and critics. However, to the masses, you know, he did pretty damn good. You know, those, those albums sold very, very well and sold way better than his first album, which many consider the greatest album of all time uh, for hip hop. And some say the greatest album of all time, Illmatic. Um, but with Nas, man, the thing with Nas is, is um, he took what Rakim laid down. And then for that new era coming out of the golden era into... 94, 95, 96, where hip-hop was just really, really bubbling to where you knew, because you could just see it. Record stores, we were getting more, um, basically, like, more aisles in the record stores. People stopped saying, oh, this is a fad. Um, by then, you know, hip-hop was getting some spin on major national TV as far as MTV even in my little hometown on the little white bread pop radio station every now and then, you might get like a watered down version of uh, nothing but a G thing or, you know, something that, you know, white folks could tolerate and they liked it, but it wasn't too, you know, militant or anything like that. But nonetheless, hip hop has started making inroads. And so we had just getting into that platinum era of like, 96, 97, in, in, into the 2000s, where hip-hop just exploded, where, you know, everything hip-hop was just going platinum, platinum, platinum. And so, like, the stuff that Nas came out with, like, in, like, 99, those two those two albums, I Am and Nostradamus, that ends up, you know, some of his best-selling stuff, even though it's probably his weakest stuff. But nonetheless, man, Nas... Is a you know he was a prodigy. He made all those rappers, the Wu Tangs, the Snoops, the Notorious B.I.G.s, the Jay Zs, the Mob Deeps. Um, again, probably a lot of your um, favorite rappers. He's one well, one of them cats is like your favorite rappers, uh, favorite rapper type of guy. Um, he made everybody up to Anna, up to Annie, and to where now it's something new. Like, you got to really be intelligent. You can't just, you know, like like I said, it's just it was just something new. He did it with a, a just a real kind of like a nonchalant way, uh, just a smoothness. And I, one, of, one of my favorite uh, rhymes that he said is like, understandable smoothness, uh, the murderers move with, the thief's theme. Man, like, that, that verse off of that Illmatic album, man, like, that's what Nas was, man. He's just, just a smooth, smooth cat. You know, and just really cool. But not only top of that, lyrics for your ass. Nas will give it to you. You want hardcore gangster shit, he can give it to you that way. You want to get introspective, I can give it to you that way. You want to go lyric for lyric, I can give it to you that way. Any way you want it, you know. So definitely big up to Queensbridge Finest Nas. Number two, we're going to the H-Town. So you already know what to do, baby. You know what I'm talking about. Face Mob is in the building. Scarface, Brad Jordan. Um, I was introduced to Brad Jordan off of the Ghetto Boys second album, Gripping on That Other Level. Um, I remember I heard Gangster Love, and when his verse came on, I'm like, man, this cat is crazy. And, you know, this is bananas. The flow, that's when Face was going by DJ Action. And you knew, and I love all the Ghetto Boys, particularly Willie D. He's my favorite, my my personal favorite out of the group. But but I can recognize from the get, Face was like the most talented member of this group. Um, but you know, not talking about Ghetto Boys, just Scarface. 
he's got one of the best um, discographies in the game. I mean, this guy's um, his catalog is impeccable. Much like Ghostface, um, you're not finding no bad albums from uh, uh, Scarface. The only uh, two albums that I didn't like, um, but I also know that he did not sign off on those were Balls in My Word and My Homies Part 2. Um, particularly, My Homies Part 2, it was just a lot of like cutting room floor stuff. And then Balls in My Word, he had a few cuts on there, but those were two that was more con you know, contractual things where, you know, they were just wanting to make sure, you know, make some money during the dead times. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, contemporary, when I, when I say contemporary, I'm talking about it because we're in 2020. So in the 2000s, for me, the greatest album that has came out in the 2000s has been The Fix by Scarface. If you're listening to this and you have never heard The Fix, do yourself a favor, listen to Fix. You know, much like Illmatic, it's not super long. I think it's got like maybe 10 cuts, but there's like an outro and an intro. So really, it's like, you know, eight songs, maybe nine songs. Um, great production. Kanye's on there on the production. Uh, the Neptunes, which uh, a couple of songs that they do on there don't even sound like anything that the Neptunes you would think that they would do. But that shit is dope. Um, and I, I know Face produced a couple songs on there. And I think I want to say Mike Dean might have got on one of the cuts. But at any rate. If you have an opportunity, go listen to The Fix. I'm telling you right now, the greatest contemporary hip-hop album. And when I say contemporary, my definition of it is just from the 2000s on. You know, because that's overlapping areas and all that. So I'm just going to say from the 2000s to right now, the best album that has ever come out for hip-hop, The Fix. Okay, now let's wrap this up. We're going to wrap it up with the God MC himself. Um, hopefully you figured this out by now. That is what we were leading to. And that is, of course, Rakim Allah, the R, the 18th letter, Rakim. Uh, Rakim has set the standard for modern hip hop as we know it. You can thank Rakim if you've ever heard any, vo any um, you know, bars that made you think bars that made sense that were on time um rakim really is the one who ushered in this modern era of hip-hop as we know it um not so much all this mumble stuff and you know some of the stuff these young cats are doing but um as the audience that i'm primarily speaking to and we love all you young people and we don't want to turn you away but i'm talking about the cats that came up like me you know graduated in the 90s or in the you know the late '80s, mid late '80s, um, you know, Rakim changed the game forever. Rakim, you know, took hip hop out of the nursery rhyme type of stuff. Him and Kumo D and they're babbling back and forth, and then Rakim just really, like, you know, and not so much Kumo D because really nobody really really battled with, with Rakim. But I'm saying you know Modi was around that time as well as Kane and some other cats but Rakim to me was the one who really brought the game to a new level with the production um, with Eric B and that team that they had um, dude you know Rakim his flow was immaculate if you think of what a perfect MC is, if you think of if a young person says, hey, I want to learn how to rap, or, you know, can somebody tell me what is rap? What is that? Or what is hip hop? Or what is MCing? Let's just say that. What is MCing? What is that? If you want to know what MCing is, if you want to, you know, maybe say, I'm going to use this guy as my blueprint for my style to try to get better or whatever, because you should never bite off of nobody. But you at least want to have somebody say, okay, I want my shit to be able to, you know, not necessarily sound like this cat, but my shit needs to be on point like this. 
this is the guy that you need to go to. This is the God MC himself. Rock him. Okay. All right, everybody. We're going to wrap it up. We're almost at an hour. I want to thank you so much for taking time out to listen to our first ep episode of It's a Rap, Top 15 MCs of All Time. I just want to remind everybody to make sure that you get out there and that you're active in your communities. Make sure that, you know, and I said I wasn't going to say too much political, but I am going to say this. Make sure that you guys are active. So if you felt anything, any type of way about what went down with uh, Brother George, please be active in your communities. Uh, make sure that you fill out your census. Make sure that you register to vote. Make sure that you vote locally. Know who your local law enforcement is. Okay? Please, if you feel some type of way about that, white, black, brown, green, yellow, and every other color in between underneath oh, God's earth, please, or God's son, should I say, please go out there and make yourself and, and make your voice heard the right way. Don't just get mad. It's okay to be mad, but take some action that is positive, and you don't have to be Dr. King to do that. You don't have to be some big superstar. Just, you know, every day, just try to do something good, a little bit of good, where you at. So, once again, this is your man, Joey Kinney, for It's a Wrap. Thank you so much. Peace, love, and we'll see you next time.